Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Shake Sales. I'm your host, Maggie Bloom from the Mailshake team. And today we have Luke Rupping, who is currently a partnerships executive at Bill First and the co-founder of the SalesCast podcast. And I am so excited to talk today because we're going to talk about how you can close deals faster. Um, and Luke is the best person to talk about this. He helps coach our team at Mailshake and is just phenomenal in sales. So Luke, thank you so much for being here. Do you mind taking some time to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Maggie. And you're right. It's not my first time jumping on a podcast, especially <laughs> yeah. a sales one. So yeah, just a little bit of background. I worked my way up from being an inbound SDR to leading an outbound SDR team to being the top inbound AE at Panadoc for two years to actually being the top producer at Panadoc running outbound motion. So wow. when it comes to speeding up deal cycles and helping make new things transactional, that's, I would say, my strong suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like from what I just heard, unless I heard it wrong, that you've done both inbound and outbound in your experience there too. Cool. Awesome. That's exactly right. Yeah, which we'll definitely dive into. And yeah, perfect person to talk about this experience and, and now helping us with, at our team coaching too. So let's talk about some ways that reps can close deals faster. And I want to start out with this first question of, you know, why does it take so long to close deals? There are a few different things, and there are a bunch of factors playing into it. But uh, I'm curious, what do you typically see that makes a deal drag out or take longer? Yeah, usually for me, it's always been like the lead either. I guess there's a couple different things. The lead needs someone else to be involved. It's not the right timing. So they say like, hey, you know. This would be great, but it's just like something I bet people are hearing it right now that I want to look at in 2023. Um, so I always say the big thing for me is people and then just like they have their own timeline in their head. Okay, so you're trying to align to the buyer's timeline, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how humans, we make things priorities and pull things forward based mm -hmm. on how important it is to us. So I find timing to be kind of nebulous, like, yes, we'd love to have it live by Q1. And this is something you're going to hear a ton is, oh, we'll push it to next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, what sort of effect does that have, Mr. Prospect, if we wait to implement this till next year? Mm -hmm. And these are some questions you can ask to understand, hey, are they seeing the ROI? Are they seeing the benefit of what we're trying to work with here? So you're absolutely right. Like priorities and timing are one thing that certainly takes longer to close deals. Another thing I found is authority. Do you ever deal with like a mid or lower level champion in your sales? Yeah, totally. And that's where, yeah, like I mentioned, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I need someone else wrapped up in this deal. Um, and that's what slows it down. Yeah, it's interesting. Deals that where you have multiple stakeholders involved close at such a higher percentage. I'm trying to remember what it is, but if you have like five or more contacts inside of an account, the close rate goes up like 85% compared to just having a solo champion because it's so much stickier when you get everybody involved. Mm. So there are a couple tactics I'd love to dive into later on how to multi-thread, how to get people involved. But that's something we can certainly touch on. Yeah, for sure. And you bring up a good point. It's like you, you said that they have more of a likelihood of just closing in general. So not only even closing faster, but just closing in general, because 
I'm sure this is something we'll talk about too, but I've heard that, you know, stalling or not, you know, kind of creating this timeline or letting deals kind of drag out could just make them ultimately not close when they could have to begin with. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but going back to your original question, why does it take so long to close deals? Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, just in my experience, there's different tiers of closers and what separates the top reps I found mm-hmm. from mid-tier or average reps is really preparation. It's like sports. Okay. How well do you prepare for an event or how well mm-hmm. do you prepare for a call, which can help dictate how you perform in that meeting? Got it. So it comes down to the preparation beforehand and anything specific, like where people miss the mark with preparation. A lot of it's around the research side. So most people, I don't know how you work, but when they see a meeting pop up on their calendar, they say, all right, I'm going to show up to this meeting at three o'clock and we're going to go ask our (laughs) discovery questions. (laughs) Not the best experience. It's so interesting, especially today, with how important trust is and how can you build trust? How can you show credibility in a meeting? And the best way I found to do that is by doing research up front. And it's not just going to their website and saying, hey, this is a SaaS company. You guys have Series B funding. It's digging into their LinkedIn profiles and truly understanding what their role is, what's important to them as a role. And maybe mm-hmm. diving into some personal stuff where you can break the ice. Like one small yeah. tip and thing I found works really well is going into like volunteer experience on a LinkedIn profile. Okay, cool. I mentioned, hey, you guys worked at a soup kitchen a little while ago. You helped with the YMCA locally. What was that like? Mm-hmm. And it catches them completely off guard, but it also shows you did your research without just saying, hey, I did my research. Yeah. Small thing to help you prepare. Yeah. And I laughed at the beginning of you talking about that of like, I feel like sometimes, and I've worked with salespeople who are like this at my past companies, where I almost think of sales as like the Wild West or something. Like, that people just show up to a call, they wing it, like, and they think that that's going to help them out. And like, I've never been that type of person because I think I, if I don't prepare before calls, I actually just don't feel confident. It's more of like a confidence thing for me, which hopefully translates into more sales. But, um, yeah, and but I've had other people, and that's a really common thing in sales that people sometimes do. Um, but my next question, going off of that, you know, what are some steps, um, or you know, what steps do buyers need to go through to make a purchase? Yeah, every company has a buying process, mm-hmm. and it depends on whether or not your champion knows what that buying process is. Okay. If I can give you a quick example, let's say we're talking to a marketing manager who's never bought software before. It's rare, mm-hmm. but you get somebody on the phone and they've never bought software before. Yeah. Okay. This is where research comes in handy and knowing your market, your target customer, and your ICP. Mm. You can bring that knowledge to the table and help handle objections and remove blockers before they show up. And what I mean by that is typically when I work with marketers, Maggie, What Mm -hmm. happens next is we actually need to get the VP of marketing involved. And with other companies, your side, a CFO usually signs off the check. Does any, Mm -hmm. that ring a bell? Is there a legal procurement process that you guys have? Because we've seen it with one or two deals, but I don't want to step on any toes if that's not something we deal with for you guys. So again, being preemptive, doing some research and having relevant customer examples ahead of the call can help remove a couple of objections or a couple blockers before they actually crop up 
in an email three weeks after your initial meeting to say, hey, we want to go with you guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's being more proactive about it and almost educating the buyer about, hey, this is typically what I see happen in these situations. Um, and do you feel like you, that approach may change depending on um, if you've identified like that this person maybe had never bought software before? Yeah, a couple of questions you can ask in discovery is like, hey, what was the last thing you purchased? Mm. And hey, what was something that you guys brought on board recently? Just kind of testing the waters to see where they're at. Because the last thing you want to do is dive in without any knowledge beforehand. Mm. You want to make sure that you have an understanding of where they're sitting before you jump in. Gotcha. Awesome. I love that question because I think sometimes those are the most awkward questions to ask in discovery is like, you know, in my, in my thought, like right when you said that is like, how do I, how can I figure out that this person might be new to buying without making them feel like they're new to buying? You know what I mean? Like that they have to feel uncomfortable or this is their first time because that could have been just a promotion for them and you don't want to talk down to them in a way of like, hey, you know, but you're asking it in a way that's what's something that you purchased recently. So I love it. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. if I may, have you ever mm -hmm. felt awkward asking a question during a sales call? Yes. <laughs> what was that like? What was it like? I mean, I, there's always like certain questions that could make me feel uncomfortable. I ended up getting over it. Um, somewhat, unless there was a new question involved, but it typically it was one that like I was testing out for the first time or a way I was asking it for the first time. But yeah, it just kind of felt uncomfortable at first. Yeah. Like fear of the unknown, something new, like what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause not going to lie or something I deal with is a little bit of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we all know I'm asking a sales question here. How's this going <laughs> to land? What impact will this have for your business? Yeah. And as a salesperson, you kind of cringe when you ask those questions because you know it sounds salesy. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing is if you're on the other side of the table, and this is something I picked up from uh, Katie Bailey, mm -hmm. who's over at Figma, great coaching session there, but mm -hmm. it's not awkward to answer those impact questions. Mm. Oh, this would have an impact on our business because our deliverability would go up. Mm -hmm. We would book more meetings. And if we get more meetings with our current close rate, that's going to lead to more revenue. Wow, we need to get this in place. Yeah. It's those type of questions that can help drive a priority forward, which circles mm -hmm. back to being able to push the timeline forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's not uncomfortable for them to answer those questions. And I think the way that you position in your head, too, of like, I'm not just asking a question for my own benefit. I'm asking the question to figure out their pain and figure out how relevant it is for them if they actually need my product or service too. So that's always something that's helped me when asking like those awkward impact questions. But we're talking a lot about the buyer. So, and I know this is something I mentioned a little bit before, but I've always been afraid of trying to fit buyers into my timeline as a sales rep. Uh, so with this in mind, how can we close deals faster while catering to that buyer? think it swings back around to understanding priorities and potentially making this a bigger priority for them to solve. So again, we're covering like impact. What does this mean for your business? What does this mean for you? 
Mm-hmm. What does this mean for your team? If we can understand those things, and I think that's the point of discovery, it's not necessarily to uncover pain or inflict mm-hmm. questions or just be there to interrogate. <laughs> and so that way we can have an understanding of what they're going through and make sure we're actually catering a solution for them. Mm-hmm. So if we're worried about fitting buyers into our timeline of sales reps, there's like two buckets you could fall into. There's a compelling event. And this is like out of winning by design training. So okay. you could have a discount tied to end a month. You mm-hmm. could have a promotion. You could have an onboarding that brings them forward a little bit and makes it a compelling reason to buy. Mm-hmm. But that is seller focused. That is our business first. And we want to fit you into our revenue model. Mm-hmm. Can work. It has worked for a while. But there's mm-hmm. a better way to do it. And that's where discovering a critical event comes in. Okay. So this is where some more question asking can come in really handy. Um, a quick example of that might be, hey, we want to implement your software. Okay. When? Why? How? What events do you have coming up? Oh, we got a QBR starting December 15th. QBR, who's going to be there? Our yeah. entire sales team. The entire sales team is going to be there. Would it be a good time to roll this out? Yeah, okay. Well, it's a two-week onboarding process. It's November 29th. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to make sure that we're ready for that date? And just finding a certain date can help pull their timeline closer to yours, and you work backwards from that deadline that of launch. It's not a mm-hmm. contract launch or a contract signing. We're working towards value in that aha moment. This is when you're going to see the benefit of the solution we're talking mm-hmm. about. And I might sound crazy. Just tell me if I am. No, no, you're not sounding crazy at all. And I like the way you put it. It's not necessarily a contract signing date. It's after the onboardings take place, after when X companies typically see value from the product or service um, having to do with your event. And I think that's where I've even gotten it wrong in the past too, because if you are using that terminology of like, yeah, this is the date you'll sign the contract and you're not like putting those dates in in the mind of the buyer, the way that they may want to hear them or the way that they should hear them. Like, Hey, that's when your event is, this is when onboarding takes place. You're going to need to do all of these things beforehand instead of just like, you need to sign the contract by that date. And it's like reversing your mind again, to think backwards, think in their shoes and not your own shoes of like, I need this contract signed because I need to hit commission by this date. Um, so it's just interesting how you can flip it that way and it works. Yeah, a lot of sales is just reframing things. Like, I know I have a quota. I know we have to hit this revenue target by the end of the month. But what do people care about the most? It's not you, it's themselves. So how can we reframe this so that way it matches their priorities and what people care about the most, which is their job, looking good to their boss, and having a positive impact on their company, which Mm. is point of value. How do we get you to realize value? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned it, the first thing that you mentioned of, um, I think you said it was like the compelling timeline, if I'm saying that correctly. So, and I hear this, like, you know, salespeople talk about this, like, and managers too, like, Hey, let's create urgency. And this word urgency or creating it out of thin air is like something people like to talk about. Um, so I guess like, how do we create, like, what are people meaning when they say that? How do we create that urgency in a sales cycle without sounding like we have commission breath or things like that? 
most of the time when you try to create <laughs> urgency, you do have commissioned breath and you're trying to push somebody into doing something. <laughs> you can't create urgency, but you can uncover it. Mm. And to go a little bit deeper on that, you can't force somebody to do something. We need to get this done by now. We need to have a discount in place to get you guys to sign. No, it's uncovering the ability to pull that forward and build some urgency in their organizations where we can't live without this another day. Mm. And that's where I think the impact questions come back around and are key. What mm. impact would this have for you if you do it? What impact would this have if you push it out two months? Mm. Who's this going to affect if you wait two months to implement this? You're telling me you're going to wait till January to start looking at this again at the end of 2022? Well, that means you're not going to be live till February. It's the end of November. Yeah. You're missing out on three months of X dollars of revenue because mm -hmm. you don't put this in place. It's that fear of loss, the fear of missing out on money that drives urgency. If you want to call it creating urgency, it's just uncovering <laughs> the reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Way better way to put it too is uncovering, you know, that urgency with those questions instead of just creating it, but we still hear people talk about it. So I'm curious what they may have to say. <laughs> Another good one is let's go sell value, build more <laughs> yeah. value, sell more value. <laughs> or Values just... in the holder. <laughs> or just close them. <laughs> like... Yeah, just close them. It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've heard it all, um, especially with that part of creating urgency, but Going back to your experience as a sales rep, you've done both inbound and outbound. Um, I've always hear, hear this rumor that outbound takes longer than inbound. Um, but I don't know. It could be different for different companies there. I've just heard people talk about that. But inbound versus outbound, can you tell us how to leverage these timelines in each one of these situations to close deals faster? Yep. Actually, why do you think outbound historically takes longer? Yeah, that's a good question because I feel like there's, and this is coming from someone who's only been an outbound SDR. I've done mm. a few outbound, um, AE demos, uh, actually the ones we were, we were working on together and I've mostly been an inbound rep when it comes to being an AE, but what I think in outbound, what can sometimes take longer is like, you may be talking with someone where you're teaching them about a concept almost before you're actually, you know, not pitching your product, but, you know, figuring out if your product is a fit for them. So I say that there's like a, a bit more, um, teaching involved with it, which may take a bit longer. Teaching or education, if I'm hearing you correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and that's again, going back to inbound versus outbound, one of the main differences Inbound mm -hmm. buyers or prospects are typically more educated. They're mm -hmm. doing research. They're talking to your competitors. They send somebody out to go evaluate this. Yeah. They're in the market actively. Mm -hmm. So as an inbound rep, you don't necessarily have to be really good at teaching a concept or mm -hmm. painting the picture of what's today versus tomorrow. You have to be really good at beating your competitors, negotiating because inbound people typically negotiate harder because mm -hmm. they know the market rates for everything and they want yeah. the best deal. And so that, and then managing procurement, and getting deals done. Those are the inbound keys. What's interesting about outbound 
is you may have to teach people or educate them about it. But one word you said that was key is concept. Mm -hmm. There are two keys to closing any deal. One is to nail product concept. Mm -hmm. Do we agree, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, that this concept of the product will impact your business and actually help you? Mm. Yes or no? Yes? Okay, great. Well, what's the other factor? Pricing. Mm. So what terms do we need to do? If we can get pricing and terms right for you, would that help expedite a decision? Oh, absolutely, because mm-hmm. we see the value of this. But if we can help push this through, we have a limit on procurement, yeah, 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 yeah. Different ways you can move pieces around to actually accelerate the deal and pull it in. Um, one other thing just on outbound is you're talking about educating people and you're kind of discovering whether or not we can help you. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know if that's the best use for outbound. Outbound in the way I've done it along with like Jed's help mm-hmm. has been finding a target market that's underserved mm. that we know benefits from using our software. And so we're going to them with messaging saying, hey, we know this person in your industry has gotten this result mm. for their teams. And it's much more targeted and we're doing the education up front. And we're also gotcha. handling some objections because somebody just like you is using this thing and they're seeing these results. Is that relevant at all to you? Yes, great, jump on a call. Mm. You're able to target this and that can actually help shorten outbound cycles and make them faster than an inbound process where you're going through multiple meetings, negotiating, battling competitors. You're bringing full value up front to them and they're not having to do any work. Totally, yeah. And I like the way you put it too because yeah, when you are targeting outbound, you could be targeting, you know, an app like one of your targets could be someone who's low tech for example like they don't use any tools so how do they know about any of your competitors that could speed that up just to begin with because they're not going through this cycle of hey let's check out all three of these competitors and we've been doing research for a while and things like that so definitely makes sense and i could see you know doing it the right way could actually shorten that um and finding the right people that would actually benefit from it too yeah, do you think that could also help raise deal sizes and average contract values? <laughs> is that a trick question? Yeah, I think it could. It's a leading question is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because again, yeah. inbound sales, you're going up against competitors, people doing research, and they know what the fair market price is for your solution. Mm-hmm. If you're going outbound and you're bringing a custom solution to them that fits their business to a T, as long as the ROI is there at 5x, 10x, what your cost is, they don't care how much it costs Mm. because of all the value there and the aha moments they're going to get from using your software. So you're not having to discount as much because you're bringing the value to them. You're doing the legwork. Got it. Wow. I love that way of thinking about it. (laughs) Um, And now it's making me disagree with the statement that I heard earlier about inbound is faster than outbound. <laughs> yeah. It may or may not be faster, but inbound is certainly easier. Don't don't get me wrong, outbound's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely it's there's just extra levels to it and um yeah, and they both have their pros and cons to it. But yeah, I would argue outbound is definitely harder. Um awesome. Well 
thank you so much for going through that and um you know talking to us about how reps can actually close deals faster anything else or anything to leave leave off with after a conversation today yeah the only other thing i can think of that might help accelerate some timelines and help push deals forward outside of what we talked about already is what grinds a deal to a halt at the end what do prospects throw up at you at the end mm. of a cycle all sorts of objections yeah we can't move right now we're going to push till next year we don't think you guys are big enough we have to test security mm. the biggest thing that changed for me going from inbound to outbound and becoming successful at outbound was handling their objections before they came up mm. and we did that through research before the call and having everything lined up in a sales deck before the meeting. Mm -hmm. So we show that we're a big company, we've been around, we've served customers like you, and we pass all the security recommendations and requirements that you're gonna have before the end of this. Now mm -hmm. we've moved all that part of the sale out of the way, we can focus on is this the right fit for you and does it maximize the ROI that you're gonna see from it? Shortening that cycle just a little bit more because you're eventually gonna have to answer those questions why not handle them up front? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of this is being proactive about it instead of reactive to something that could come up later on too. And that can shorten it itself because you've already gotten all those things out of the way before the end. That's exactly right. And it's so hard to be proactive. You have to be motivated <laughs> and driven to do it. <laughs> but if you can, the rewards are huge. Totally. It's like, yeah, get out of the Wild West from just showing up to meetings right when they start and doing no research. Um, awesome. Luke, thanks so much for talking with me today and talking about how reps out there can close deals faster. I end every single episode like this, but where can people find you if they want to learn more or just learn from you? Absolutely. Hit me up on LinkedIn anytime. So Luke Ruffing, I'm on there. And then SalesCast our own podcast as well. I do it with Jed, who's your coworker, and Max Sakevich. And we go on about stuff like this in short little 15-minute bites, helping mm -hmm. you guys pick up tactics that are actionable for prospecting and for closing. Awesome. Yeah, I've listened to their episodes. Really good stuff on there. And it's always good to hear podcasts with banter from three. So, Luke, thanks so much again. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Shake Sales. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Maggie. Bye.